0: Hello, everybody. I am John Allen, the editor of Crux, and your host right here on Last Week in the Church. This is the show where we sort of take the the river of Vatican and Catholic news of the last week, break out our pans, and go searching for those nuggets of gold. Today is actually a special edition of Last Week in the Church because typically we have a series of kind of random, unconnected news items. This week, however. We have a single towering theme, and so with no further ado, I welcome you to the inaugural edition of Vatican Book Club, because just in the last few days, we have seen the release of five separate titles of significance about the Vatican. That added to the one bombshell that was already out there, and if the first rule of Fight Club is that you don't talk about Fight Club. The first rule of book club is that you definitely do, because this is basically all anybody in the Vatican is talking about. We will explain why right after this. Okay, everybody, listen, welcome once again to Last Week in the Church. Happy Tuesday to you. Happy Tuesday, January 24th, in the year of our Lord, 2023. Today falls in that annual sweet spot for me between my birthday last Friday and my wife and I's wedding anniversary tomorrow. So if you are inclined to send out prayers, positive mojo, good vibes around Milestone Moments, this would be a great time for the both of us. As I say, today we are launching a new social movement that I like to call Vatican Book Club. Because since the death, Of Pope Benedict XVI on December 31st, and really in just the last few days, we have seen, well, gosh, what would I call it? A bevy of books, a torrent of titles, a Vesuvius of volumes, six, count them, six new sort of tell all, slam dunk, sensational books, many of them about or even by Pope Benedict XVI, others touching on other themes. Collectively, they have created impressions, at least in some quarters, and by some quarters, I would say in the Italian and the international press, on social media, among Catholic activist groups, and so on, they have created impressions that there is a kind of mounting civil war underway in Catholicism, which is using not musket balls or cannonballs, but rather the printing press. As its primary sort of field weapon. So let me just, first of all, tick off the books we're talking about, and then we'll go one by one to try to explain the significance of each. I will conclude with a couple of thoughts about what to make of all of this. So, first, the list. We begin with a book we've already discussed on this program. It's called Nient'Altro Que La Verità Nothing But the Truth a kind of tell-all memoir by German Archbishop Georg Gainswein, who, from 2003 to his death on New Year's Eve, was the closest aide, the private secretary, to Pope Benedict XVI. Next up, we've got Dio e Sempre Nuovo, God is Always New. This is a collection of previously published works by Benedict XVI issued by the Vatican's own publishing house, with a new preface by Pope Francis. Third, Que il Cristianesimo? What is Christianity? And then the subtitle is Quasi un Testamento Spirituale, Almost a Spiritual Testament. This is a collection of writings by Benedict XVI, some of which were previously known in whole or in part, but five of them are entirely new, and it is... It's a collection of works that Benedict had produced during his decade in retirement, but instructed that they could not be published until his death. Then, completing our cavalcade of Benedict titles, we have Ratzinger la scelta, non sono scappato, which means Ratzinger's choice, I didn't run away. This is a book by veteran Italian Vatican writer Orazio La Rocca, writes for La Repubblica the country's largest circulation, kind of left-leaning newspaper, but very fond of the late Pope Emeritus, and it carries a new preface by none other than Georg Gainswold. In addition to those Benedict XVI titles, two more entries in the cavalcade of new titles. We have In Buona Fede, nel no Ventunesimo Secolo. That translates as, Uh, In Good Faith, Religion in the 21st Century, it is a book-length interview with German Cardinal Gerhard Müller, the former head of the Vatican's Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, who was, well, I mean, essentially fired by Pope Francis at one point, and who has not made any secret ever since of some of his discontent about the direction of the Church in the era of Pope Francis. This is a book-length interview conducted by Italian journalist Franca Giansoldati for Il Messaggero. And then finally, we have La Paura dono. This translates as fear as a gift. This is also a book-length interview, but in this case, it's a book-length interview with Pope Francis conducted by a well-known Italian psychologist. He's kind of a TV psychologist. You can think of him as the Dr. Phil sort of, of Italy, a guy by the name of Salvo, Noè. All right, so those are our titles. And as I say, you add all this up, and certainly if you, oh, and before we move on, let me just give you one footnote. What this new sort of avalanche, literary avalanche, confirms, if you needed confirmation, is that Italian definitely remains the mother tongue of Vatican coverage. Because every one of these new books has appeared first in Italian, and in many cases, not clear when or if they're going to be translated into other languages. And so, you know, there you have it. In any event, collectively and certainly to begin with in the Italian press, the contrasting points of view and emphases, the kind of behind-the-scenes revelations and so on that we have gleaned from these titles, has created an impression that the kind of civil war in Catholicism that was going on in a kind of behind-the-scenes, somewhat muted fashion, while Benedict XVI was still around, now that he is gone, has sort of exploded into full public view and is gathering intensity. Let's try to talk about why. As I said, we've already discussed the Gaineswine book, Nothing But the Truth, on this show, but just to briefly recap, most of this book is actually a really affectionate memoir of Gainswine's years as the right-hand man of Pope Benedict XVI, and kind of tells tender stories about the inner man that, that Benedict XVI was, as opposed to the public figure. But nevertheless, he does, in passing, touch upon some tensions between Pope Benedict and his successor, Pope Francis, over, for instance, the traditional Latin Mass, also, Omoris Laetitiae, that was Pope Francis's 2016 document that gave a kind of cautious green light for communion for divorced and civilly remarried Catholics. Gainswine also reveals his own, what, disappointment or resentment at effectively being fired as prefect of the papal household by Pope Francis in 2020. And so, you know, all that taken together created the impression that Gainswine was sort of emerging as a flame carrier, if you like, torchbearer for the pro-Benedict and therefore sort of by definition, anti-Francis way of the Catholic Church. All right, moving forward, we've got God is Always New. This is the volume of Benedict's previously published works put out by the Vatican itself. And it really has the distinction of being the only one of these books that nobody seems to be mad about that, you know, hasn't actually stoked any controversy. As I say, we already knew all of the writings it contains. In terms of Pope Francis's new preface, you know, he praises the depth and the profundity of Pope Benedict's teaching. And he says the distinctive feature of Pope Benedict's thought of his theology is that it's theology on his knees. That is, it's a praying theology. It comes from a kind of strong spiritual center. More or less what you would expect. Pope Francis to say, or really probably anybody to say, about Benedict's thought in his theology. So uh, that book has has passed without a great deal of comment. Certainly the, the same cannot be said for Benedict's own collection of previously unpublished works called What is Christianity? Almost a Spiritual Testament. This is a collection of essays that he had entrusted to an Italian biographer by the name of Elio Guerriero, with the instruction that they be published only after he was dead. Now, in terms of why that instruction, we know because Guerriero added to what was published the letter that Pope Benedict had sent him with these texts, in which Pope Benedict said, I don't want these published until I die because, he said, the hostility against me in some circles in Germany is so strong that every word, I'm paraphrasing now, but every word drives them into conniption fits. And he said, I want to spare myself that, and I want to spare the church that. That, you know, has sort of been taken as a sign that maybe Pope Benedict was a little unhappy with his German critics, most of whom are liberal and fans of Pope Francis. And of course, Pope Francis is seen as in some ways encouraging liberal occurrence in the German church. So if you want to connect the dots, You can find some tension there. Also in the book, Benedict at one point discusses the sexual abuse scandals in Catholicism. He blames them in part on a collapse in seminary formation. And he says that in some seminaries, including in the United States, there are actually open what he calls gay clubs, that is, groups, networks of seminarians with same-sex orientations that operate more or less in full public view. And obviously, he was saying that is part of the problem. The fact that this came at the same time that Pope Francis was saying things seen as gay friendly, we will get to that in a moment, again, stoked perceptions that there was conflict. And then in another part of the book, Benedict says, apropos of seminaries, that he said there are some seminaries that have become so hostile to what he represents that seminarians who are discovered reading his books are seen as unfit for ordination, that they have to read them almost in hiding because otherwise, you know, they, they might feel the long arm of the liberal law. And again, you can see why all of that was taken as a sign that Benedict was unhappy with some currents in the church after his resignation. All right. Then, finally, we come to the, the fourth Benedict book, which is Ratzinger's Choice, I Didn't Run Away, by Oratio La Roca, with a preface by Gainswine. Now, that book is not actually out yet. It appears tomorrow, so we haven't really had a chance to sort through it at length. We do know, however, one particular. La Roca quotes from a letter that Pope Benedict had sent to the late Australian Cardinal George Pell who of course died very recently. This is while Pell was in prison. And Benedict was writing to offer Pell comfort, but also to say to him that it appeared to Benedict that Pell was paying the price for his devotion to a kind of solid sense of Catholic identity. And this, again, seemed to some people as Benedict endorsing the if you like, one of the captains of the conservative side in the church's internal arguments. All right, now we come to two book-length interviews, one with Cardinal Gerhard Mueller called In Good Faith with a Vatican journalist, Franca Giansoldati, and this book, too, has made a lot of waves. At one point, Mueller says there is what he calls a magic circle around Pope Francis of kind of informal kitchen cabinet advisors, whom, Mueller says, I have kind of spotty, dubious theological formations that is, aren't necessarily at the top of the game in terms of their doctrinal or theological qualifications. But, Mueller says, nevertheless, these people exercise inordinate influence on Pope Francis up to and including the nominations of cardinals and bishops. Doesn't name names, but frankly, if you've been paying attention to the Francis papacy, it's not that difficult to figure out who Mueller is likely talking about. Second, Mueller faults Pope Francis for what he says is an inconsistent approach to zero tolerance and reform when it comes to the clerical abuse scandals. He cites the case of Argentinian Bishop Agustino Zanqueta, who was recently convicted of child abuse civilly in Argentina. But nevertheless, for a long stretch of time, enjoyed a kind of privileged status in the Vatican as a perceived friend of Pope Francis. Mueller also points to the case of an Italian priest who was close to the Communion and Liberation movement, whom he says was found guilty of sexual abuse and was set for laicization, that is, being kicked out of the priesthood, until some unnamed Curial cardinal went to Pope Francis made a case for clemency, so the guy was kind of let off the hook. That is, he was allowed to remain a priest and put under a set of sanctions. And then finally, Mueller basically blames Pope Francis for being kind of arbitrary and impulsive. He cites the case of Italian Cardinal Angelo Becciu, whom the pope fired as prefect of the Congregation for the Causes of Saints and stripped of all of his privileges as a cardinal, on the basis of a magazine article, according to Mueller, before he had even been indicted, let alone convicted, of any sort of crime. And Mueller cites this as evidence of a persistent disregard of law and due process on the part of Pope Francis. Now, again, well, you know, consider the background. Mueller was a guy who, when he was running the Congregation for the Faith, was often seen as out of of tune if you like, with the more progressive currents of Pope Francis, and then once he was removed from that position, he has kind of gone on to become, you know, I think it would be fair to say, kind of spokesman for the loyal opposition. That is, he's not leading anyone into open schism, at least in any formal sense, but he certainly is, striking notes, critical of the current papacy. All right. And then finally, we have the new book-length interview with Pope Francis himself by, as I said, a psychologist, a a kind of pop psychologist by the name of Salvo Noe called Fear as a Gift. And it's about the theme of fear. But what has made waves in the Italian press, in the global press, mostly is Pope Francis's language on gays and lesbians. And, you know, Not No great surprise, knowing his general approach, but what he says is, God does not renounce any of his children. He said, God's approach to people, including to gays and lesbians, is not one of judgment and marginalization, but rather one of closeness, mercy, and tenderness. Pope Francis also goes on, in the context of the abuse scandals, to talk about the importance of relying on secular psychology and psychological assessments in seminary formation, not just to flag potential abusers, but also to weed out other undesirable traits in future priests, which, again, unsurprisingly, he he includes qualities such as worldliness, ambition, a kind of climber's mentality, and so on. These are all familiar sort of bête noirs for Pope Francis when it comes to clerical life. And, of course, the Pope does also speak at some length about fear. He acknowledges that he himself sometimes experiences fear, especially when he has to make a very important decision, but says he does his best not to let that paralyze him. And he says some degree of fear before you make a big call is a good thing because it induces you to think carefully. You slow down. And he said, in that sense, fear can be like a mother who gives advice to her child. All right. So, taking all of that together, the impression that, at least in some ambiances, some environments, in and around the Vatican, is that the internal tensions, the fractures, the lacerations, the fault lines in Catholicism, between left and right, between traditionalists and the avant-garde, between the Pope Francis camp and the Pope Benedict camp, all of that, which has been sort of simmering for a long time, and now with the death of Benedict has been turned on high heat. And of course, all of this heading towards the Pope's synod of Bishops on Synodality, which the first meeting of which will be this October is scheduled to conclude on October 24. And the German synodal Way is also wrapping up. There, there simply is a sense in some quarters that we are heading towards a kind of point of no return where the internal tensions in the church may simply become ungovernable. And, you know, I mean, to quote the poem, perhaps the center cannot hold and things will fall apart. I just wanna offer two concluding thoughts about all of this before we sort of throw in the towel. One, truthfully, can you point to a single thing I just told you about the content of these six books that is a jaw-dropping mammoth surprise. Gainswine is upset that he got canned. Benedict didn't like the fact that Francis rolled back his historic decision on the Latin mass. Didn't like the fact that Francis changed the teaching, uh, both his teaching and John Paul's teaching, on communion for divorced and civilly remarried Catholics. Mueller has his nose out of joint about the way the Pope makes decisions. Well, one of those decisions, of course, was to fire him. So probably not a great surprise that that didn't play particularly well. You know, Francis himself is sending messages of reconciliation and openness to oft marginalized communities, in this case, gays and lesbians, very consistent with the approach he's taken from the very beginning and on and on. In other words, my point is there is nothing here that is particularly new and therefore no reason to think that the internal tensions they reveal are more significant today than they were three weeks ago before all of these books were published. The only difference now is that you can find these tensions discussed on, in volumes that you can find on bookshelves. Well, at least if you live in Italy, you can. Second point. You know, while we are reviving and dusting off writings by Pope Benedict XVI, here's something I would encourage that we throw into the hopper. It is a session that he held with the Italian clergy of a couple of dioceses, In 2007, Benedict used to take his vacation up in northern Italy, and he would usually sit down with the priests of one or two dioceses and do a kind of Q&A. And in one of these Q&As, he got a question from a priest about how to balance his worldly interests, his basic sort of human interests, with his spiritual and theological interests. Benedict's answer was this. He said, Catholicism, a little simplistically, has always been seen as the religion of the great et-et. It's Latin for both and. The word Catholicism means synthesis. And he said the genius of Catholicism is to see both and solutions where others see either or problems. Benedict XVI. I would also point out that the final words of Benedict's new volume, What is Christianity? is a thank you to Pope Francis. He says, I want to thank Pope Francis for constantly showing people the loving light of God, which even today, the darkness has not overcome. Last words are, thank you, Holy Father. A great synthetic act, a great synthetic note, if ever we've seen it. So I would simply pose this question. Do the tensions that these new books reveal, do they have to be seen as destructive and debilitating, Or can they, in fact, be seen as part of the great richness of Catholicism, the treasury of the faith, and as raw material for a glorious and classically Catholic future synthesis? I don't know the answer, but I would suggest finding it is a tantamount to the drama of the day. That is our show for this week. As ever, you can find full coverage of everything we've talked about and much more on the Crux site. That is CruxSnap.com. CruxSnap.com, your one-stop shopping for the very best in smart, wired, and independent Catholic journalism. Please join us here next Tuesday, same bat time, same bat channel. In the meantime, stay safe, stay healthy, have a fantastic and blessed week. We will talk to you again very soon.